0: I think that's kind of what it is with Jordan Peterson that, okay, the tendency isn't exactly to be like this paternalistic disciplined ideal, this ordered ideal. But I think many readers would love a vision in which masculine equals order, in which masculine is this like calm paternalistic ordered force that makes everything okay. I mean, so, again, it like, yeah, brings me back he has to the daddy.
1: Domesticated context. masculinity. Yeah. It's create a, a almost a feminine lens through which masculinity can be translated. I
0: wouldn't say, a, no, I, I wouldn't say it's, it's feminine. And, I wouldn't, and, and he would find this an affront because he really hates infantilism. But I think it's an infantilized version of masculinity. Would you
1: like to know more?
0: So, Malcolm, you gave me a little bit of a homework assignment this week, didn't you?
1: Well, so we were going to do a video on some of Jordan Peterson's ideas. And, and sort of where our ideas contrast was his and where our ideas align was his and Simone was like, no, 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 we have to, yeah, I have to at least read one of his books before we do that. Cause that's the way we read books. Simone reads them. She writes like a book report. She sends it to me and then I review it and, and that's how we think on knowledge and then we'll have a conversation every day about it. And recently she started reading her or our first Jordan Peterson book to actually, you know, go through cover to cover and what's it, what's it called?
0: maps of meaning no just kidding that's like a deep cut <laughs> 12 rules for life his his big her his, his first big for public consumption book and so you're about am, a chapter into it or i'm probably on chapter four or so you're, you're on chapter um,
1: four okay so what we're going to talk about is your first thoughts on reading it what 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 resonates with you what you think he's actually communicating yeah or really what,
0: what he, seems to he, differentiate popular What more specifically, what seems to differentiate us from Jordan Peterson in his philosophy? Because there's a lot that I think we hold in common, and then there's a lot that we really, really don't. And it's really interesting to me. Like, I I read a lot of what he says, and I'm like, yeah, no, absolutely. And then he'll say something else, and I'll be like, oh oh my gosh, and nails on a chalkboard, what are you doing? And it's, it's unusual, I think, to come across an author, especially someone discussing psychology, neuroscience, evolutionary biology, et cetera, self-help broadly, that we sometimes really agree with and sometimes don't. Usually it's, we're 100% on board. We're like, yeah, you're one of us, or we, yeah. we, this is, I can't even listen to this without having an aneurysm, even though we will listen so, anyway. So
1: let's talk about. I mean, so the first thing that I think really, when you were talking to me, you're like, this, because this is another area that we've been digging into recently. Mm-hmm. It seems really influenced by Jungian psychology. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think which... really what he's done is he's, he's dressed up Jungian psychology to make it much more palatable to a modern broadly millennial, a little bit Gen Z audience by adding a ton of evolutionary biology and neuroscience and like discussion of social science studies and things like that to this. So he'll mention, for example, go ahead, Malcolm.
1: I was going to say, you were saying yesterday when you told me about this, but not to the core of his points. The core of his point is typically Jungian psychology and then he'll add a bunch of anecdotes that might not be directly connected to it that are like about evolutionary psychology or something.
0: Not necessarily. I mean, I think it's it's hard it's hard for me to articulate really well, but my understanding of a big thesis that Jordan Peterson holds is and this is so close to what we you specifically have argued in the pragmatist guide to, to religion but differently. So, in the pragmatist guide to religion, you point out that humans have evolved in concert with culture and religion, that we, our biology is designed to work with culture and religion. And when you strip that away, things fall apart. But then you proceed in, in all of our books to make very logical arguments and appeals to people about relationships, about sexuality, about life philosophy, about all sorts of things, right? Like it is all, and you know, the people who who like our books also like that we are robotic and sociopathic and like mm, very autistic. And then the criticisms that we Sorry, Simone, get. You no, know,
1: the new word is hotistic. Haughtistic. For hot ha- autistic women, hotistic.
0: Autistic. So then the criticisms that we commonly get are, oh, you're missing the soul. What about love? Like there's, there's this much more like touchy feely thing. And every time we get these criticisms, I, I think I literally lack the, element or processing or software that is required to understand what they're talking about. Now, Jordan Peterson starts with the same argument. He essentially says that, you know, humans have evolved with stories and religion. This is our bread and butter. This is how we function. It is the software on which our hardware is meant to work. But his conclusion is very different. It is that, you know, science, the scientific method and rationality, these were only introduced very recently, which I think is a sort of dubious claim, because I mean, I think that there's a lot of logic in like very ancient Greek thought, but whatever, we're going to throw that aside for a second. But my, my, my very strong impression and what I'm surprised no one's really discussing is he's basically saying, no, 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 humans can't understand logical reasoning. Humans must understand or fix themselves, fix their psychology, make decisions through interactions with religion, through interactions with narratives. And so that's the way he does it. And this reminds me a lot of a podcast that Spencer Greenberg did with some kind of psychologist, where Spencer, you can tell, he's a very rational person like us. I think he's much more like on the autist end of the spectrum. And he, he keeps asking this person that is interviewing, well, but is this evidence-based? Is this psychological intervention evidence-based? You know, what, what is it robustly proven to work? And the the guy he was interviewing kept saying things like, you know, it it doesn't really matter if it works for someone that it works. Like it could be like the stupidest, like Freudian, you know, nonsense, it could be, you know, a witch doctor, it could be like anything that's not replicable scientifically, but if it works for a person, then it works and that's what you should do. And and Spencer's just, but it doesn't work. I don't know, like it's not proven or logical or rational. And I think that this, there's this really interesting, like Jordan Peterson is helping me to understand this like parallel universe of people who really do only see the world in these like emotions and stories and narratives and like religious stories like jordan peterson for example frequently throughout the book so far will refer to biblical stories he'll refer to Dostoevsky, he'll refer to all sorts of fairy tales and i, I, I think it's this presumption that humans need those to to reason
1: so so my re- my second hand read on on hearing Simone's analysis of this and so, first, let's talk about when I see something is Jungian psychology, because I actually think when somebody says Jungian psychology, they're actually using a euphemism. <laughs> Jungian psychology is just Freudian psychology, but everyone knows Freud was like had some wacky ideas and was a bit of a dumbass at times. And so they, instead of saying I am a Freudian psychologist, they'll say I'm a Jungian psychologist. Well, and I now, think that's broadly I mean,
0: because like most people have heard Freud's theories and they've also heard Freud's theories like roundly. In a
1: of context,
0: yeah. Yeah, but then no one, not that many people have been taught about Jung. So it's it's a lot harder to say. Well, and
1: Jung didn't say as much obviously stupid stuff, but they both, both of their psychological frameworks are broadly About narratives, but in a different way. So our psychological framework, you've heard from our episodes, we very much believe in a narrative driven psychological framework, right? (laughs) But We see the narratives as really instrumental tools to dominance over your mind. Yeah, well, yeah, um, so the problem is, it's like you agree
0: with Jordan Peterson, but at the same time, rather than you still assume that the human is rational, you're like instead of using a narrative to like dumb it no, down for the no, I humans.
1: assume that humans can hijack these systems that they have. I still think at the end of the day, everything in our brains is mechanical and broadly understandable, yeah. but the way the tool you use for engaging them can be intentionally constructed narratives. Yes. However, a to a Jungian psychologist, the way that they actually structure their logic when thinking about the human mind is in terms of narrative. So Jungian and Freudian psychology is, is it, the, the core difference between it and our psychology, right, is our system says, yes, narratives are important to restructuring the mind, but when you are engaged with the logical thought and trying to figure out how the world should work, you can ignore narratives, have these logical, these brief moments of actual logical thought, mm. and then use that logical thought to build the narrative tools to begin hacking the rest of the system, okay? Whereas for Freud, when he's trying to investigate the mind, when he's trying to determine how the world actually works, and this is the chemistry for Jungian psychology, they, work, they lean really heavily into narratives into analogies and into stories yeah. In a different way of structuring their own mental processes so a good example i can give of this is somebody is asking me like how do you structure your mind and i think this is actually a really interesting question because there's a few ways that a person can structure your mind so i think The way that the average like progressive, woke, urban monocultural person structures their mind is they try to make their mind a democracy of all the various impulses and voices in their mind. You know, whether that's their experiences from childhood, their impulses to, I wanna go have sex, their, all of the various parts of their mind, they all get a vote and you are mentally healthy when you have satisfied utilitarianly the maximum number of these voices that make up who you are, you know? We do not structure our brain that way. We structure our brain as a complete dictatorship. (laughs) Logic is the only thing that matters. It owns all other parts of the brain and is whipping them and telling them, you do this, you do this, I don't care what emotional output. I don't care what happened to you in the past. I don't care what narratives you say. And if you can't get out of something without any, another narrative, then fine, I'll make one for you, but you'll eat it. Oh, you need food? Then I will make you the worst food possible. And you're forced to eat this food. Not exactly. I mean, we try to you know, create good narratives for ourselves, but at the end of the day, our brains are structured as a dictatorship. In in Jungian psychology, Freudian psychology, and in Jordan Peterson mindsets, like the way that he's approaching things, the brain is also structured as a dictatorship, but the person in charge is the internal storyteller and not exactly the internal cold logic person. Mm. So we have a lot in common in that we understand the importance of the storyteller, but the storyteller is more like for us in like a communist government, the head of PR that's still working under the dictator and still is only putting out PR pieces that the dictator tells them to. Whereas in Young Jungian psychology, the storyteller is sort of in a co-partnership with the dictator or the dictator themselves.
0: Now, I'm not sure because in, in one part of the book I've read so far, Jordan Peterson encourages the reader to have a conversation with oneself like to admit one's weakness but then be a kinder like a lot of his book is sort of written with here's how to become a paternalistic dominant like father figure in everything like to your children to your friends but also to yourself and so he describes this scenario in which you notice that you are dragging your feet on washing the dishes. So you like internally promise yourself like, oh, well, what if I took you out for an espresso if I wash the dishes? And then he like warns the reader to, well, you really better take yourself out for the espresso if you wash the dishes. And then you'll discover that this pays dividends over time because you've learned how to m- incentivize yourself. So I don't know what that is, but I'm just saying that's not necessarily... No, but
1: that sounds... so, so listen to what he's doing there, right? Hmm. He is negotiating with the various parts of his brain through He's encouraging like, negotiation. Yeah, like in the same way that I talked about, you know, to a progressive, you want this pure democracy among all the voices in your head. And with us, you want a, a, a pure dictatorship. Well, also understanding, I mean, you look at us, right? Like one of the core aspects of our philosophy is all humans are wretched and fallen and that you should not be surprised that you sin, but you should never glorify the sin. You should never say my sin is actually a virtue. He would say the same way, but the way that he relates to these different voices in his brain is much more appeasing instead of the a dictator who's like, I guess if I don't give this population what they want, there's probably gonna be a revolt. It's more, okay, let's negotiate, all right? You wanna get coffee later, let's do that. You'll see that I'm trustworthy. Uh, it's a different way of managing the fractured self.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Um,
1: Would you say yeah. that they accurate or like?
0: I guess. Yeah. I think what's different about the way that Jordan Peterson presents it is he, he, he like does it in stories and in scenarios and examples. And we're more like, here's how it works. So just figure it out yourself. Like, here's the system. We expect you to do it yourself.
1: Well, I mean, it's a much kinder system. If, if, you, if you look Hisest. at him and talking and everything like that, he's much more sympathetic towards other people than we are. Yeah, um, You can tell he's 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 a person who's deeply affected by sympathy. You know, like him crying what a woman called men incels. And he's like, how could you just dehumanize this huge portion of the human population? And then, you know, somebody's like incels around us. And I'm like, well, they're not breeding, so they don't terribly matter. <laughs> I mean, I realize they might make up a voting block for us, but long term they're being removed from the gene pool and they probably should be. It's a completely different mindset. It's a, it's a sociopathic, ruthless mindset versus this this kind mindset that, that that's genuinely uh, cares about other people. I'd love it if you could talk about the things that he has said where you are like, this is nails on a chalkboard to me.
0: Huh. Yeah, a lot of it has to do with insisting like drawing connections that I don't think are there. He has a a chapter on why it's really important to take care of yourself and how humans are really bad, for example, at taking medication, even if, for example, they get a kidney transplant and having the medication to stop your kidney from getting rejected is so important. People are even not that conscientious on that front. And yet it appears, according to him, that the rates of successful drug administration to pets is incredibly high, much higher than it is for humans who really, really, really need to be taking their own meds. So that is evidence that humans know how to administer medications, and yet they don't take care of themselves. And then he goes into this whole, like, basically humans don't do it because... original sin. And, you know, in some ways it, his take is so similar to ours. Well, humans are wretched, you know, like he, we're we're flawed, we're messed up. He, he keeps saying that, you know, you are, you know, like a pathetic person and you, you can barely do anything. And he admits like, he definitely is on the humans are wretched camp, but then he'll like, I think because of his whole thesis around humans have to understand everything through stories and religion is super strong. He'll argue things like Oh well, we hate ourselves because of original sin, and he'll go into like the whole story of the Garden of Eden.
1: Cringe when you said that. Yeah, and it's (laughs) just
0: this isn't helping me, and I don't see how this is effective, and I don't even see how this is accurate. And he, then some other part that I just read this morning, um, he 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 pointed out how you know an atheist might say, well, but I'm not religious, and so this doesn't apply to me. And he's, you're not an atheist like you should read Crime and Punishment, you'll understand. And I'm like, what, what are you even saying? I mean, like I read Crime and Punishment and, and sure it's, it's, it's not really a story about atheism. It's a story about stupidity and poverty and and like gross people with yellow teeth. I don't know what to say. So a lot of, a lot of it is, I guess what what's rubbing me the wrong way is I feel like there's a certain amount of, intellectual gatekeeping taking place and maybe what works a lot about Jungian psychology and all this narrative-based arguing and maybe this happens a lot within religious communities is people just sort of start using these stories and these analogies and like our mind is trained to get like lulled into a sort of sense of calmness and you're kind of following the story and yeah 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 and you sort of like lose yourself in it and Everything sort of becomes, yes, Andy. And then you just assume that, oh yeah, it's right. Of course. Correct. You sort of stop thinking critically because you're following the story. But I think that's a way to trick people into to thinking that you're right without arguing anything substantive. Maybe that's what's rubbing me the wrong way.
1: I, I agree exactly is what you're saying. It's, it's, it's the, the flute player to the, to the snake, <laughs> Your friend, right? Like, young psychology can soothe parts of your your mind you know it, it can but it's very similar to mystical thinking in a religious context mm. and people should know how antagonistic we are to mysticism and mystical <laughs> thinking i mean i think it, it just intrinsically comes off in like the way that we engage things youngianism can almost be thought of as the secular version of mystical thinking and I, I agree with what you're saying there. And it reminds me, you know, when you talk about him in religion, something you said to me on a walk one day, where you were comparing me to Jordan Peterson and Andrew Tate in our engagement with religious ideals, where you're like, Malcolm, you've got God. Like you, by that, what you mean is I 100% both believe in a God and I'm like really, really, really dedicated to that. And it changes like sort of, I guess you could say the passion with which I pursue life and the look behind my eyes to an extent. And you're like, Jordan Peterson is someone who sees the value in getting God, but that doesn't have God. And and it sees no path for him to get it. And, and because of that, you feel a deep sadness from everything he's doing. Well, I don't know.
0: I don't know if he doesn't have God. I mean, I do there is a lot of there's definitely a preachery feel from his book. And there there is a different type of religious zeal. I think maybe you're just differentiating
1: like the well, what cultural... did you mean when you said this on the walk? Or have you changed your mind after <clears throat> book?
0: When I, what, when I said what, that I just didn't feel like. Well, you
1: didn't feel that this was your, your analysis on the walk was he was somebody who understood the value of having it, but wasn't able to get himself to really believe it. And so he was preaching it without like really engaging himself. And then you contrast it with Andrew Tate, which is somebody who, who both understood the value in it and was trying as hard as he could to believe it, but really didn't, fully like it hadn't clicked for him yet or something. And and so you could see a bit more passion behind what he was doing, but there was an underlying discomfort. I'm I think wondering- the
0: difference between faith and Jordan Peterson and Andrew Tate is more I don't think that they necessarily have differing levels of faith. They have differing flavors of faith. So yeah,
1: elaborate on this
0: I think Jordan Peterson is someone who extremely logically chose to have faith. I don't get the impression too. that he's felt faith really strongly. Like he's not been like moved. He doesn't act like someone who's been like moved by Jesus or anything. He sounds like someone who has studied very deeply the Bible and sort of decided for himself that, that Western Christianity broadly speaking is sort of the correct way and, and the way to be. Whereas my impression is that with religion Andrew Tate takes a much more charismatic and intuitive and like gut sense impression Mm -hmm. with religion like he's less like getting into the weeds with the literature and more here's what resonates with me here's what I'm going to personally run with but I, I don't think that they necessarily have varying levels of faith I mean I think <clears throat> to say, like being moved in a very like spiritual or emotional way, doesn't necessarily mean that you're more faithful than someone who just engages in a less, like a slightly more dispassionate but still intellectually very passionate way with a religion.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I do, I do agree that it's the it's the, the charismatic aspects that are appealing to Andrew Tate, the the self narrative modifying aspects as well. Whereas with Jordan Peterson, I I do think that he is very ordered in his thought. Maybe or more ordered. He just uses a different hierarchy for how he orders his thought than we use. No, something else you had mentioned to me was the way he regarded women in the book. You found off-putting, or
0: right? Yeah, a really recurrent theme in the book so far, at least, and it's, I'm I'm only assuming it's going to be repeated ad nauseum for the
1: rest you of the book. You said everything's repeated ad nauseum.
0: No, no, no well, no, no. This. Specifically, this, um, which is the concept of order and chaos, and it, it, it's it's even kind of a little bit. It'll take you away as a reader because he'll refer to uh, in every chapter, even including the like forward or introduction, the difference between order and chaos, with order being symbolized by the feminine and chaos being masculine. Sorry, sorry, I mixed that up because to me they're so interchangeable with. <laughs> With chaos being represented by the feminine and and order being represented by the masculine, and chaos is the child who's sick in the night, and order is the, the day that is structured and productive, and like all these sorts of things. Like he'll give he'll give the example and he'll talk about like the Taoist yin and yang, and then he'll talk about various examples of order and chaos. And it just it's interesting to me, and I'm getting this throughout the book, that there's this very it's it definitely comes across as extremely patriarchal. And I don't say this in any sort of feminist sense, but like, he just wants, he's, he's definitely creating this ideal of a, a dominant masculine daddy figure. Like the, all like the jokes about him being like the internet's daddy are so spot on because that's sort of, he's like the stern father patriarch and he's trying to teach the reader how to be a patriarch to themselves and a patriarch to everyone else. But then this, this concept, and it does annoy me of, well, chaos is feminine and order is masculine because it's very easy to switch that in the other direction. You know, well, chaos is, is men and violence and, and war and order is like oppressive female bureaucracy and politicking. Like, it's, it's
1: funny that you say that because the moment you said that, if I was going to assign a gender to chaos versus order, males <laughs> would be chaos and females would yeah, right? be order. But in, 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 in potentially even a negative way, like you say, the order of bureaucracy is intrinsically feminine. And, and we've talked about this. Yeah, like I mean, think like Mars
0: are... versus Athena. You know, I, I just. Well,
1: and this yeah. is the way that we've also structured gender within our relationship. You know, you. Oh, yeah. I'm are... the order,
0: anywhere the chaos. You know,
1: that's why I mentioned Shield H- Hero and Shovel Knight. If we, if we go to the games, I actually prefer Plague Knight and Mona. I think that's my, my OTP in that game. <laughs> but the idea of a wife, and we'll eventually get some art commission like this, because I actually really like the idea of husbands and wives taking on roles, and you can choose which role you take on. I don't know if it's an intrinsically feminine or masculine one, but I think that the way that our family structures it is is you, the woman, are holding the shield. You make sure that we have financial stability, that our, our kids are basically handled, that our stuff is basically handled, that our taxes are basically handled, everything like that. And whenever we're doing like a risky thrust at the enemy, whenever we are potentially moving ahead, whether it's Press outreach or a new company before it like becomes a stable source of income or a like new investment strategy. That's where all that stuff goes to me. And so our relationship is based on you are the backbone, you are the stability that, that takes all of life's hits for us. And I am the person who's in charge of moving us forwards and and, and reaching out and 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 stabbing. And so I often see us in the relationship. It's you are the shield bearer and I am the the sword wielder or the shovel wielder or the the, the spear wielder depending on, on, well, on how you want to structure like, this partnership. And that's the opposite of Order and Chaos. Well,
0: like, beyond I, that, biologically, I... men and women, like to me, I think are the opposite. Like biologically, women are, are like bell curve wise, right? Like they're more likely to be closer to the center of the bell curve. They're, yeah. they're outliers. Like they're, they're far more likely to be mediocre. They have to be more conservative in their mating strategy. Whereas like men are more likely to be all over. Over the place on the bell curve. Mm-hmm. Only a few historically have gotten to reproduce. So it's kind of go big or go home. You have to be chaotic. You have to be innovative. You have to be different and aggressive and crazy. And so like, where is this coming from? And uh,
1: when women historically, even in a traditional Christian context, they are the managers of the home. They are mm-hmm. the rock of the family. You know, the, the, the man is the one who is out fighting the wars taking the risks. Um, And even if I look at a traditional masculine and feminine role, if, if people went into our house, they went into your room, it would be perfectly clean and pristine. If they went into my room, it would be a complete mess. And they wouldn't be surprised of this. You know, this is typical masculine and feminine sort of mindsets into how they order their rooms and stuff like that. If, if you went into a house and one room was a complete mess and one room was totally pristine, you'd probably assume the pristine room was the woman's and the mess room was the man's.
0: But I think what we're getting with Jordan Peterson and what's, again, interesting about his work and the figure he is presented in culture is that he's he is to masculinity, what Martha Stewart is slash was to homemaking. So Martha Stewart never presented a realistic picture of homemaking. You know, it was never like how to get things done fast and kind of get the house clean for the kids and like make a dinner without them realizing it only took you 15 minutes. You know, it was always like, I'm going to have my chickens lay these eggs and then I'm going to hand harvest the wheat from my farm. And then, you know, she would do something totally insane. But it was, we watched it. We loved this show. I loved the show. I was kind of obsessed with Martha Stewart living because of the ideal it represented. And I wanted a world, in which I, I had a household like that and I had the chickens and I, and I did the stuff perfectly and my house was spotless and I handmade everything. And I think that's kind of what it is with Jordan Peterson that, okay, the tendency isn't exactly to be like this paternalistic disciplined ideal, this ordered ideal. But I think many readers would love a vision in which masculine equals order, in which masculine is this like calm, paternalistic, ordered force that makes everything okay. I mean, so, again, it like yeah, brings me back to the daddy
1: domesticated masculinity. Yeah, it's create a, a almost a feminine lens through which masculinity can be translated. I wouldn't
0: say no. I wouldn't say it's it's context. feminine, and I wouldn't. And, and he would find this an affront because he really hates infantilism. But I think it's an infantilized version of masculinity, mm. where where again, like all of the jokes about him being a daddy figure are so spot on because what he's really appealing to is a bunch of readers who just want. Like every, they just want daddy to fix it. They just want daddy to give me a hug and tell me it's all going to be okay and fix everything. And I wake up the next morning and it's it's all fine and I'm protected and I'm safe. Except he's, oh, now don't worry. The daddy's within you and you can be the daddy for everyone. And I think that's what's going on is is that he's catering to a really in the infantilized audience. That believes in
1: you. Yeah, sorry. Of. Right, that's one of my favorite character lines that I, I really model our relationship <laughs> after, and we'll probably do a different one after that. Where I, <laughs> if, uh, if our relationship is similar to any any character pairing in media, uh, it's it's definitely the the Simone and Kamina pairing, where where I see my role as being um, Kamina and your role is being Simone which is actually a, a male-male pairing in the show. They are like brothers to each other. But I actually think that that's probably a better way of structuring a, a married relationship than the the modern way that society does it. But uh, yeah, believe in the me that believes in you. But you are the diligent worker. You are the sense of stability. And, and I just provide the external inspiration, but it means nothing without your rock and, and, and without your shield protecting all of the, the crazy, stupid, risky things I do. But anyway, I, I really love that you have engaged with his work. We're going to do more episodes on it for sure, because I, I find it really fascinating. And I want to be clear that in this episode, what we're focusing on where we are different from him in ideology, that's just because that's what we have the most to talk about on. There's less to talk about if we're like, oh, this is all the areas we agree with him. Obviously we agree with him on a lot of things and, and yeah, we're, we're not like, antagonistic towards his work or anything like that we just have more to talk about in the areas we differ
0: yeah i think we have a lot more in common than otherwise so it's interesting it's fun i'm glad you gave me i'm glad you gave me this homework
1: is that is that the way it worked Did i gave it to you as a task item I yeah you're like,
0: S- like S- simone i need you well because we we have friends who keep and this is we have friends people on the internet who constantly refer to Jordan Peterson's work to his philosophy and I don't think we can engage with their arguments and with their interpretations of it which I'm finding now a lot of people's interpretations of what his advice is are like really bad <laughs> they're not getting it they're not remembering it right they're they're getting the totally wrong message from it but yeah we, we can't really have meaningful debates with people about his philosophy if we haven't actually read the freaking book so good <laughs>
1: I love you, Simone, and I'm so glad you do this for me. That I had the type of where I'm like, okay, I'm interested in this topic. Read it, summarize it, let's talk about it. I, and- I, this is this
0: discounts how much you do. You've probably watched many more hours of Jordan Peterson speaking than I have read Jordan Peterson, you know, talking through his book. So, just give well, and I, I'm
1: the one who went through all the Andrew Tate content before we did like a series on him and stuff like that. Really interesting. He's he's smarter than people give him credit for, but. I'm more pessimistic on other people than you are. We'll
0: see. (laughs) Love you.
1: I love you too.